Welcome to the ministry of Berean Bible Church in Louisville, Ohio, pastored by Ted Fellows and committed to preaching and teaching God's Word from a dispensational perspective. Most of the messages you will hear are recorded from our local church services. You can find out more about our ministry at www.bereansoflouisville.org. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles to turn to Titus chapter 1. real grateful and uh, a privilege to be here uh, with saints of like-minded faith. Um, and Ted said, I met Ted back, boy, in the uh, Berean Bible Fellowship days uh, in Cedar Lake, uh, Indiana, which is where our Bible conferences used to be held at a long time ago. And um, a couple of days have gone by since that time. Um, of, of, I actually, of course, you know, thank the Lord for time. And thank the Lord for the Lord. Um, when we initially talked, uh, that conference was scheduled, so I had a message uh, that Brother Ed Yarbrough asked me. No, that wasn't a conference. It was the one that was scheduled for uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, there's some things that's been on my heart, and knowing the maturity of the saints here, um, my testimony is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the plaque on the wall is there. It's no longer I, but it's Christ in me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that my thinking, and I'll, I'll just share this before we get started. Uh, I got saved in May of 1974, and while without me understanding the full uh, ramifications of that, Colossians says I was translated out of power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. But I also was taken out of Adam and put in Christ. So what changed my whole mind about all this stuff that goes on in the world is the one baptism. When I was put in Christ, no matter what the outer man was, if you're in Christ, you're my brother or sister, period. More than my physical or biological family. So I stopped looking at all this stuff that the adversary uses in the world uses to divide us. That, that's not the spiritual eyes to have. The understanding to understand that if you're in Christ, you're my brother or sister. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have human viewpoint that divides that, that opposes the word of God. So that's really what I want to deal with because the answer we need is in the Lord, and the answer we need is in Paul's revelation and the maturity that comes with time of understanding the inner man working instead of the outer man working. It's unfortunate that a lot of believers continue to judge things based on circumstances and physical manifestations of looking at things through their damning nature. Instead of looking through the Word of God and being able to go inside, and we talked about yesterday, I didn't get to finish my message because when you give a preacher a message, it turns into a series. And so I'm not going to do that. Uh, Ted gave me the time on the clock, and I'm, I'm respectful of people's time. So I'll be uh, stopping the time. But the thing is that when I started yesterday, I couldn't even develop my lesson. Because we went into an hour, and I said, OK, it's time to stop. It was 7.30 a meeting. And then uh, the Amish uh, Inn has a wonderful pie that's blueberry. And um, the day before I went, you guys know Ed Yarber, right? I had uh, dinner with Ed, and I had apple pie a la mode. Now, I don't, I don't eat sugar and flour. Uh, it's forbidden in my house. My wife said, you know, you can't die. So I have, a, I have, a, uh, I have a, uh, a way of eating that's a lifestyle that the sugar and flour, I'm diabetic, and a whole lot of other things, uh, you know, health-wise. But um, if I don't eat sugar and flour, it controls my blood sugar, right? So I just don't have it at home. But I told her, my wife, she was not here, uh, my lovely wife, hopefully you'll meet her next time. Um, I said, Gene, I'm going to have a piece of apple pie and uh, ice cream out of mold. So that's what I did 
on Friday, uh, Ed Yarbrough had blueberry pie. And when he took the first bite, oh, I said, okay, I got to try that blueberry. <laughs> what I did know, because I got a piece for last night, that Ed brought a whole pie. So we're sitting out there fellowshipping, so there was blueberry pie, and I did the bite, and oh, my goodness. But I had a slice in my room, too. So unfortunately, the decision-making was to eat that blueberry pie. And when I went to sleep last night, I didn't wake up this morning. I woke up in a kind of a sluggish way. Uh, well, that's okay, but I, I, I take insulin, so I took the shot, and I had to be here. So when Ted talked about eating, my goal is to leave here, go home, and get in the bed. Okay? <laughs> uh, but with that being said, we, we appreciate uh, uh, being here. T uh, Titus chapter 1. Uh, the issue I wanted to talk about, which is a renewing of the mind, has to do with the doctrinal structure in Paul's epistles that's laid in the book of Romans, where uh, the Lord deposited to Paul a message, or the message of grace, but he revealed to him two aspects of that message. One had to do with salvation, and the other one had to do with what the Bible calls the mystery of Christ, the one new man, that has to do with our realm and our influence uh, eternally, and it's the two realms of creation that we're talking about. Now we know about Israel's purpose and Israel's plan because that's God's original purpose with Adam and then with Abraham and the nation of Israel. We understand today because you guys have been perfected and you're edified to know that the nation of Israel, that program was interrupted historically in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 9 when the time calendar that was given to Daniel had expired. It was coming to its fruition to that last climactic stage where the day of God's wrath was going to be poured out. And when you go through Israel's courses of punishment, Leviticus 26, in the time of the Gentiles starting with the captivity in Babylon and the nation being taken out their land, God Almighty also on the basis of Abrahamic covenant and his mercy and grace provided a uh, promise a time that that restoration is going to take place. So in that time calendar of the five courses of punishment, there's installments. It, it starts with the 70 years uh, of Jeremiah, that first installment is there, then Daniel gets the rest of the time calendar. So when the Lord shows up, he says, the time is fulfilled because that calendar is coming to its fruition. And so when the Lord's here, it's the fifth course, the fourth installment. According to Leviticus 26 and, and chapter 40, God said, I'm going to send somebody who's going to preach a time of repentance. That's John the Baptist. That's how you know where you're at in the time calendar. So that's, that period of time the Lord's here is the fourth installment of the fifth course. Then when you get the book of Acts, it's the fifth installment and the fifth, uh, the fifth course, fifth installment. There's only five installments in the fifth course because the end of the fifth installment or the fifth course, uh, that's the sugar, the fifth course, the five courses of the fifth installment, the Lord's coming back. He's coming back as Israel's uh, uh, deliverer, their avenger, their king, and their blesser. And that's all on the basis of what he did at Calvary as Israel's redeemer. He had to pay for their sins, the nation of Israel. And the fulfillment of the prophetic calendar, when the time was right, when Stephen stands up, you all know this, I know you do, and he sees the Lord standing, Acts chapter 2, he, he went and sat down. And in fulfillment of Psalms 110, the Lord, says, sit, uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, God the Father, said God, to God the Son, sit thou on my right hand until I make, make that in his, that footstool. So you can actually see that calendar, so in the extension of grace and mercy, that was the extension of that, that time calendar in Luke chapter 13. It was an additional year given to the remnant for repentance to Israel. When that time calendar was fulfilled, the wrath of God should have been poured out upon the world. Not only upon the Gentile nations, but Israel too. 
because it was a time of God's vengeance, folks. Aren't you glad we're not in a time of God's vengeance? God Almighty, I, I heard Sister Connie talk about uh, a family member that has cancer and, 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 and accusing God of, of, of injustice. Paul says, is there uh, injustice with God? God Almighty is just, always. And think about it. If the Lord had not extended uh, this age of grace, then the world would be in the time of, the, uh, of God's wrath. And the Bible says it's a fearful uh, thing to fall in the hands of an of a angry God. See, God is dispensing grace and peace today to the world, a world that deserves his wrath, a, deserved, a world that deserves his, 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 his fury when he comes back and sets up a righteous kingdom. But, folks, that's not the dispensation of grace. He's not reconciling Israel. He's not establishing his kingdom. He's forming uh, a group of people made up of Jews and Gentiles to church the body of Christ. And, you know, before I start, I want to read something to you, too. Um, my son was reading this, and he was just rejoicing because what I'm going to talk about the political system today is that when you deal with the Apostle Paul, he's not dealing with the social political issues. He understands this ministry is reconciliation to lost people and then teaching the mystery of Christ to believers. And what Paul's ministry was was reconciliation to a lost world that sinners would be taken out of that world in a, in a new creation, the church, the body of Christ, and I said it earlier, for the realm of creation that's part of the Lord's inheritance, which is the heavenly government. Our influence today is to be primarily in the heavenly governments because who we're going to replace is, and who we already have, is those angels that God Almighty has up there that Satan, as the prince of the power of the air, he rebelled in that realm too. And what he didn't know about with the cross, he understood the issue of the kingdom being established on this earth. And so when he lost that round, it was okay because he still had another round, which was the angelic round. But he didn't know about the mystery of God and the wisdom of God and the mystery. He didn't know about the hidden wisdom that God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. But had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't know that until Paul started preaching that. And he got angry because it showed his utter stupidity to think that he can out, out uh, uh, thank God Almighty. God Almighty got all wisdom. Satan didn't have that, but he did have, he was wise. This, this thing I want to read to you kind of sets the tone because this is one of the errors that uh, uh, Ted was talking about earlier. The purpose of the dispensation of Gentile grace, I'm on my cell phone, so it went off, is not to reform society or change, listen to this part, Satan's course for this world. Now, when Adam sinned and, and through Cain, Satan set up a system. It's called the course of this world. And as lost people, they just follow it because it's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. They're lost and they're blind. We're not supposed to be. We're saying we have light. So it says, the dispensation of Gentile grace is not to reform society and change Satan's course for this world. It is Israel's job to reform society when God reconciles back the earth through Israel and establishes his kingdom, his kingdom on the earth is the only time when society will be reformed through Israel. There's absolutely nothing we can do in the, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing we can do in this dispensation of grace to change, to change Satan's course for this world. Folks, Satan's up a course. Now, the Lord has reconciled the heavens and the earth back to himself, but there's a time element where he's going to establish his kingdom when he comes back as Israel's deliverer and then avenges them and sets up his kingdom and becomes a blesser. That's not now. 
because the Lord is in abeyance. The world has rejected him. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. So until he comes back and sets up his kingdom, the kingdom of God today for us, our realm, is we've been translated out of power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's why he says, set your affections on things above. I'm not supposed to be focused on the reconciliation of this planet. I'm supposed to be uh, focused on lost people being saved and saved people being established. So Paul's ministry was to posit to him as the issue of edification. And edification has to do with the renewing of the mind. And it's the whole doctrinal structure from Romans to 2 Thessalonians, Romans to Philemon, that has to do with the maturity of the believer. When you got saved and I got saved, God Almighty didn't cut up, up open your head and start pouring all the knowledge and information that you and I would need to establish a new conscience, a new standard of being able to have, uh, uh, to be able to evaluate things based on his will and not my own. Now, when I say all that, there's a particular phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in his epistles and it's the phrase in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. And, and what I'm going to do is three things because this is a series. And one of the, sometimes the, the challenge outside the blueberry pie, if you hear me, the, the brain and the, the heart and the scriptures, is, sometimes it's going to be a little, if you have diabetes, you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's just the cloudiness is still there, okay? So just bear with me. And, and God's grace will get us through this. But when Paul uses this terminology, this term, it's a category that puts everything that he taught under an umbrella with a specific term he uses as a phrase. And this is in verse 1 of Titus chapter 1. He says, Paul, now this is pastoral epistle, so he's writing this to, pa to pastors who are over local churches. And this, this category is a category of doctrine that has to do with edification and the renewing of the mind. Verse number 1, Paul a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which is after what? See godliness there? That's that phrase Paul uses. He uses a term called godliness. Sometimes he calls it godly. Verse number two, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but has in due time manifested his preaching. I'm sorry. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the privilege of understanding your word rightly divided. But also more the maturity of the saints that come through time. That we don't stay children or babes, but we become educated and complete and perfect men who understand what you're doing and able to get, get involved and engage in the battle. Over, over, over sound doctrine and the purity of the words because of our adversary who's out to deceive us and to uh, thwart what you're doing in the dispensation of grace through producing saints who become mature. We just praise you. We give you honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen. You see that term they use that phrase and the acknowledgement of the truth which is after godliness. This truth is after godliness. And so the question should be, what is godliness? But I want you to see another phrase that he uses in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Folks, this is as God, and we're going we're gonna to define from the scriptures what godliness is, what it means. Not from a book, but what does the scripture say about the issue? What is godliness? Uh, Titus, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul talks about uh, the last days of Timothy and, and he's, he's about to be um, offered and his departures at hand, he warns Timothy of some men, and I'll just drop down for time's sake, uh, about the perilous times, verse number 5. There's a group, he says, having a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof 
That's a counterfeit ungodliness, folks. That's a counterfeit church. That's Satan's church. That's the religious system that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he talks about uh, Satan's ministers of righteousness. He calls them false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now these guys, matter of fact, this old building, this building was previously occupied by a group called Jehovah Witnesses, right? That's, that's a category for them. It's not just them. It's all these counterfeit religious systems. You know, you ever thought about this? And I was talking to Brother Ted, and I think it's true for most people I talk to. I was saved in May of, I, I told you I'd get this in there, May of 1974. I was lost, and I was in a Baptist church all my life. That my family, uh, my grandfather on my father's side, my grandfather on my mother's side, both established this Baptist church. So from the time I was born, and in this particular church, they used to have mothers that sat on the front row. They were like the grandmothers. They, had, they were all white. So I'm sitting there when I'm born with my great-grandmother, and I'm, I'm, I'm lost. And, and at the age of 13, they had a revival. I, I didn't know I was going to say this one, but I was on the front row again. I don't know why I was always on the front row. Um, and the preacher said, everybody's never been baptized. Stand up. Well, I, didn't, I couldn't see behind me, so I stood up. And then he said, come up here, boy. And I looked around. I was the only one standing. So they baptized me with water. And then I got my little certificate, and I was able to join the choir, and the young deacons, and all that kind of stuff. I was lost. So in May of 1974, I got saved, right? Went back to the same place, because that's all I needed to, knew to go. But they were, they were not teaching the sound doctrine that comes from Paul's epistles. Long story short, after some point in time, I got, that my inner man was not being fed. I wanted to know God's word, so I went to another Baptist church. It was a Bible preaching Baptist, right? And so I said, Pastor, I want to join this church. He said, son, you ever been baptized? I said, yeah, I was lost. He said, well, you got to get baptized. I said, why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> because that's what he did, right? So they baptized me again. Now, what I didn't know at that time was the truth of Romans chapter 6. Or the Roman uh, truth of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit. The moment I trust Christ, I was baptized into living union with him. I didn't know that. This has come over time through studying God's word. But I was part of a group. Come over to um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, I wouldn't have said this about my pastor then, who did come to know right division. Uh, so, so you have godliness, and then you have those folks that have a form of godliness. They, they're lost people. But there's another group of Christians who don't understand right division, and they're Christian ungodly people. And you're going to see when I get to the term of, of what, what godliness is, why they're called that. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, you know that verse about the issue of dispensational truth. And verse number four, uh, 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. By the way, that, that's speaking in tongues there, the babbling. For, watch this, they will increase unto what? More ungodliness. Now these are people who were saved, they're in Ephesus, they're pastors who left Paul. And when they left Paul, all they can go back to in the Bible was Israel's program. With the sign gifts and all that kind of stuff. But notice what happened when you leave dispensational truth. He says, you shun, he tells Timothy, shun profane. That's a fascinating word too there about uh, old wise uh, uh, fables and vain babblings for he didn't say they might for they will increase under more ungodliness and their word was eat, will eat as a canker 
as does the canker of whom is, here's the two ringleaders in this stuff, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth of error, saying the resurrections pass already and over through the faith of some. What, what these two guys did, they got rid of Paul, so they got rid of dispensational truth. And if you get rid of Paul and you get rid of dispensational truth, then the program they were preaching was Israel's resurrection, not the rapture. You with me? You guys follow me? I don't have the time chart here, but they weren't in the but now, they went to the ages to come. Because Israel has a resurrection too. But when you get rid of Paul's epistles, where do you go in the Bible? To find the, the truth is this after. Paul's, Paul's message is called today the truth is this after godliness. It's after a proper understanding of who we are in Christ and also the doctrinal edification, the, the building up in the, in the inner man, a house of doctrine that is like this building. You go inside this house and God equips you to be able to live in this house and deal with the details of life on the basis of being a son. But it's not a physical house, it's a spiritual house of doctrine that Paul was equipped to, to put this pattern that was in him. He got a deposit. And so he wanted us to have, God's will was for us to have the same mutual faith that Paul had. So that's the edification process. It's, it's called the renewing of your mind. Because folks, the moment I got saved, my mind was not renewed. Now I had an inner man, but I had to be taught. So edification has to do with the education. It has to do with a dot. Now the education is the education is not designed for you to be smart. It's not designed for us to be intellectual and say, "Aha, I got you." You don't know what that verse means. The doctrinal structure is to produce the love of God in you. It's to produce this this ability to have a mentality that I begin to value and esteem things that God does. And it's a mental love. It's a mental attitude love. That's why when you get to Paul's, uh, the, the, the advanced believers like in Philippians and Colossians, he, he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in, in, in knowledge and judgment, the ability to discern the things that are of greater value. Because I'm not, a, I'm not under Israel's program where I'm under a tutor governor system. We've been given the full status of adult children today. You know that? God's never going to come along and tell you what to do. He's going to direct you in Paul's epistles to prove and choose the things that please him as an adult child. And you have that liberty. That's, that's liberty. That's, 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 that's the freedom. Now, we don't use our liberty as an occasion to serve the flesh. That's self-centeredness. That's selfishness. But we use our liberty as an occasion to serve others. That's God's agape love, folks. So I miss my dear wife because I love her. Not because she does everything right, because I don't. But I love her for Christ's sake. I value and esteem who she is. And on the basis of God's grace, I'm able to be selfless in my love towards my wife. Don't you like that, ladies? A husband that's selflessly, uh, selfless love. I think I need to go buy some flowers before I go home. <laughs> I really do. I just, okay, go show your love. Anyway, that's a whole other story. You have godliness. You have uh, people that have a form of godliness, a counterfeit religious system, and then you have Christian ungodliness. People get rid of Paul's epistles. So what is godliness? Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. What is godliness? When you get to, now again, when Paul takes all the doctrine, he teaches from Romans to 2 Thessalonians, all the doctrinal truths that deals with our justification, deals with our sanctification, deals with our exaltation, our glorification, 
and the renewed mind. That's why when we get over Romans chapter 12 and that edification, that foundation has been put in place. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, the, the renewed mind, it, it doesn't consider myself, it considers others better than me. And I'm able to sit over there and understand how to deal with the, the local church, people in the local church, society, the government, Romans chapter 13, uh, the weaker brother, and deal with the issue of the dispensational changes in Romans chapter 15. My mind's been renewed, but I got established and taught in Romans chapter 1. And I had those foundations put in place. If those foundations that's in the book of Romans are not put in place, I was talking to a young man back there who was going to today's grade. And, you know, I'm an educator, too, by the way. That's, that's my side job. And, you know, when you go through uh, K through 12 in America, a lot of people look at the kindergarten, first grade, but as an educator, I look at the end. Not starting school, but getting you through the 12th grade. I see the goal, right? Well, in Paul's epistles, the goal for a renewed mind is to get you to the end to be perfected. Not to leave you as a child or a baby, because then you're dependent on other people to tell you what to do. And so as a mature saint, the issue of edification and godliness, the, the issue of edification is, is objective is godliness. What is godliness then? Titus, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, Paul's, Paul's uh, telling, uh, charging Timothy that thou may teach, that thou, that thou may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed the fables and endless, endless genealogies which minister questions rather than here it is, godly edification which is in faith, so do. The issue of edification is, is the, the objective of a renewed mind is godliness. Let's just run through some verses. Chapter 2 of First uh, Timothy. Uh, you all know the verses, verse 1 and 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayer, intercession, and giving of thanks. And by the way, Paul is writing to Timothy that he might know how to run the local church in this absence. The local church is a classroom setting for edification. That's why we need to gather together and have a pastor or people perfected who can perfect others. That, the issue of perfection is maturity. Then he says in verse number 2, for kings, now he's talking about a prayer, the issue of prayer. And for all this in authority, why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. See this, your godliness here again? I had some guy that was a guy I met. He, he was not, he was not a, a mature saint. He kept posting things on Facebook. I, I don't post and I, I don't read. I just sometimes peruse and respond to believers. But he, was this, he had this visceral about the, the, the political system going on. So when he talked about our president, I pointed out this verse. I point out Romans 13. We're praying for those in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life. And that guy said, and he talks about Pelosi. I'm not praying for her. Uh, that's Christian ungodliness. The Lord didn't ask me if I wanted to, and now he told me to do that. That's the instructions of a pastor to the local church. You follow that? See, everybody, I don't care what aisle you're on, what side you're on, what color you're on, they all, everybody's taking sides. And I tell believers, we're supposed to pray for our leaders. You know why? Because God Almighty established government. And I, I often think when I talk to people, when God Almighty put Israel in that fifth course of punishment because of their rebellion and their dis disobedience and idolatry, you know the king who was the one that came and, and seized Jerusalem? It was, it was Nebuchadnezzar. It was the Assyrians, but it was Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was a brutal man. Brutal. 
But he's called in the scriptures, God calls him my servant. Don't figure that one out. <laughs> but he was, God, he was God's service, uh, servant in terms of chastising Israel so they can realize their sin and confess them to God and be restored uh, by repenting. Now, God's not sending those men today, but uh, Ted talked about the nations, right? They're never going to be just men in these nations. I don't care what they are, who they are. So we are part of a, a heavenly government. That's the issue of edification, understanding that. Come over to Titus. Uh, stay right there, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse number 9. Now, I want, I want to point this word godliness. I see my time's going, so I need to move on. In like manner, also the women adorn themselves. This is Paul's instructions to Timothy for the local church, for the edification, and the classroom setting for a renewed mind for perfection. Uh, in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but women which become which become uh, but become of women professing godliness with good works. These people Paul was talking about came out of idolatrous system, the pagan world, and, and they promoted outward beauty, the physical adornment of things. And Paul said, no, godliness is the issue of what's in your inner man. And that's why, by the way, folks, when you open to Romans chapter 12, he says, be not conformed to what? This world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, why don't you be, why aren't you conformed to this world? Because Satan set up a course that's the course of this world. And if you've been influenced by that, I don't care what area, you're going to start looking like the world and function like the world. It's designed to, who, who is this that darkness word, counsel with words without knowledge? That's, that's a, a reference of Job and the Lord telling Job about Satan who's darkening counsel. Folks, the world's system is, 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 is darkened through the God of this world. That's scripture. That's not Brother Shepherd. So I understand the issue of words. The words are the issue with God. It's either you're dealing with, you're dealing with God's word and his words in the, in the dispensation of grace, or you're dealing with Satan's word. Satan is a spirit, and he uses words. And those words are in the philosophy of the day, the educational system, the economic. It, all this stuff is the God of this world system. The quote I read earlier, it's not our job to change it. It's our job to be a light in it those who are still in darkness. Come over to chapter 3. Here's a certain element about the local church, verse number 14. These things right under the hoping to come under thee shortly. But if I tarry long, Paul to Timothy, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is a church of the living God. Here's the real church, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Our responsibility is to maintain the truth. The truth is after godliness. And then he says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And he goes down to the details. God was manifest in the flesh, justifying the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the world, believed unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, received unto, unto glory. The issue of, uh, there is a mystery of godliness, which has to do with the local church. There's a, the godliness is not something that's not taught in the Bible, but there's a mystery element that's associated with Paul's distinctive ministry and message. Come over to chapter uh, 4. Now, this morning, as an illustration, I'm coming from Amish country, and this young lady's out early in the morning, it's hot, and she's running in front of her, uh, her mom's behind her in the car, and she's training. I'm like, wow, I don't do that anymore. But she's out there running, I guess, training for her upcoming sports. Think that about, about that when I read this verse. Verse number um, seven. 
but refuse profane and old wise fables. He just said that earlier, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise is profitable little, little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. There's a promise associated with godliness. And you understand the word exertion, ex exercise. Just like you do physical exercise, he's talking about getting in God's word and studying it. Spending time in God's word and exercising yourself under that. And the issue for that is to, to, to be understand, understand God's word produces this inner man. And it's working in man, and this inner man that works out of you with a thinking that's God's thinking. Not mine's. Not yours. That's why I love that verse that says, let God be true. And some men are liars. Okay. Say all men. If you don't know the verse, I'll put it for you. All men are liars. That means me and you. If we, if we go against God's truth, I'm telling a lie. And God Almighty is the creator of heaven and earth. He is not going to change his will to satisfy me. But anyway, he says there's a promise. There's two promises in this passage about godliness. One is right now, and the other one is to come. What is godliness? Come over to chapter 6 for time's sake. Now, here's some men that were in Ephesus. They were grace preachers. Let me say this to you. They were grace preachers, and they left Paul. So when Paul tells Timothy to tell these men in Ephesus, don't teach any other doctrine, they didn't leave the Bible. They left the message of grace, and they went back under the law. Is the law a part of God's word? Yes. So that's why you get over in 1 Timothy 4, and he starts talking about the dietary issues. Leviticus chapter 11, or forbidden to eat, or forbidden to marry. You go back to Israel's program, folks, and you, you are, listen, when we go back to Israel's program, we're not functioning in godliness anymore. We're actually functioning under the adversary's plan, and we're actually in opposition to God, and we're fighting God. And by the way, the most ungodly thing that's ever going to happen on this planet is over there in the book of Revelation when Satan and his world, his, his people, declare war against the creator of heaven and earth. That's going to be the most ungodly thing. Think about it. You, you declare war against God. Now, that's Psalms chapter 2. The world hasn't done that, but in the prophetic program, he that sits in the heavens, he'll laugh. The Lord's going to have him in derision. Then he's going to speak to them in his wrath. The world's going to declare war against they, They've already done it. This is not the finality because the age of grace is holding back his wrath. But these guys in 1 Timothy chapter 6, here's a passage. If any man teach otherwise to what Paul told Timothy, go tell him don't teach anything else. And consent not, he calls them wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus and the doctrine, well, here it is, which is according to godliness. What is, it, what is the issue? He is proud, he don't know nothing, but told him about with questions and strife of words whereupon come envy, strife, railings, and surmising, perverse Disputings of men of corrupt minds. I love this part. Destitute of the truth. You know what it is to be destitute of something? It's called bankrupt. He says, destitute of the truth. Watch this. Supposing that gain is godliness from substance of draw itself. There's a program in the Bible for Israel where if they were obedient to God's will and that law contract, he would prosper them. He's going to give them blessings. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. He's going to cause their health to prosper, their fruits, their crops, their children. Going to be, they're going to be protected from the enemies. There's going to be some gain there. There's a program in the Bible you can find that is gain. But it's not the dispensation of grace. These men had left the dispensation of grace and left Paul. They, they had to get rid of Paul movement. 
and they supposed the game was godliness. Then verse number six, uh, the end of verse number seven, he says, from Timothy, from such withdrawing thyself. Not only is that uh, something that's ungodly, but it's dangerous that a pastor is preaching something that has nothing to do with dispensational truth. And I, I, I'm amazed sometimes as, as believers, we're supposed to withdraw from that, not go to it. That's the ecumenical movement. Not join forces with these folks. And I know people from, uh, let's call it GF, to actually start joining the other churches in the area. Because as a pastor, Ted, I know he has, he's been invited to different meetings. Because that's what they do. So now you start uh, compromising because you can't go there and preach Jesus Christ in the crucified. They'll put you out. By the way, I wish I had time because I'm running out of time to talk about the, the, the sufferings of Christ because what Paul's talking about here is being engaged in the battle, folks. That the average believer is just indifferent towards this stuff. We're in a battle. God wants you to get in, engaged in it, but you can't do that without the doctrinal structure motivating you from inside. It has to be God doing this in you because I don't have the courage to do it, but he does. Anyway, that was my commercial. But look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he goes down to verse number 11. But thou, old man, flee these things. That, that is that, that program that departs from me and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Then the next verse. Fight the good fight of faith. That's the purity of the doctrine. So what is godliness? I got 10 minutes. <laughs> what is godliness? Well, come back to a, a basic fundamental book, Genesis chapter 1. And I'll do this the best I can, okay? Ted told me I can go over it, but I'm not. I'm not. I've learned that it's always to be decent and in order, right? To follow the program and the protocol that's there. Godliness. What is godliness? Now, godliness is a term that is, it doesn't say it here, but it's implied. Verse number 26, when God talks about the creation of a man, and God said, that's the triune God, let us make man in our image, and here it is right here, after our likeness. Now, I don't have a board up here, but God likeness. If I wrote godliness, so you got G, then you got L-I, then you got Ness. Can you see that? Godliness. L-I is, is the abbreviation of the word like. So God likeness. Now, get that one? But it's not the physical issue that's, that's involved here alone. Now, you see me, my physical image, right? So that's the, the probably some of visibleness. But the image is an inner man issue. It has to do with the inner man. And so when he talks about verse number 26, let, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he gives the instructions about what, what godliness is going to be. Adam's going to be educated by God Almighty, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know when the Lord Jesus Christ will be uh, with Adam when, when they sin, when he comes to the garden in the cooler of the day, and Eve and Adam had eaten already? They were meeting together that time for, for Bible study. You know that, don't you? See, before they ate a physical food, they were going to have some spiritual food. The Lord was going to educate them. That's why he came in the cool of the day. That's why the Lord made that statement in Matthew chapter 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, the physical food, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. They got education. And, and understanding God's will that was going to produce a maturity, a renewed mind for them to go out and be engaged in, in dealing with the adversary. So in chapter 2, he begins that education. 
Now, I don't have time, right? Because we know in chapter 11, when Adam sins, there's two great judgments, Genesis chapter 6 with the flood, and then Genesis chapter 11 when the nations are given up. Then God calls out a man, Abram, and he's going to make of his seed a godly nation. And the Gentiles are given over to Satan. So in Genesis chapter 12 all the way over to Acts chapter 7, God Almighty has no dealings with the nations outside you came through Israel. How many people know that? You know how big a part of the Bible that is? <laughs> I always like to show people. Do I say, you know, I grab my Bible. And this is my big print Bible. And I say to them, do you understand that all this part of the Bible is not, not written to you, it's for you? Because the failure to understand there's two distinct different programs in the Bible causes people to err when it comes to understanding God had a program and a purpose with Israel that's been set aside and temporarily, temporarily suspended. So he can usher in the dispensation of grace. Now come over to Romans chapter 1 real quick. Because I, I, this is why you don't try these messages. <laughs> with, with a few minutes. But, but here, here's, godliness, folks, has three components to it. Three separate components that kind of summarizes what it is. It, it's to the, it's the, the think like God, it's to walk in his ways, and it's to co-labor God. That's godliness. When Adam was created in God's uh, uh, image and his likeness, the issue of the image was to be able to think like God the Father, it was to be able to walk in the ways of the Son, and it was to be able to, to co-labor with God the Holy Spirit. Your, your anatomy is made that way, that you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. The spirit and soul is part of your in, immaterial or your invisible realm. But that's what the capacity for God the Spirit, the, uh, for your spirit to be connected with the Father, to think like God, and connected with the Son to build up that, that information in your inner man to walk in his ways, and then to take your body and be able to co-labor together with God the Holy Spirit. That's part of our sanctification. That's why Romans chapter 6 deals with you being dead to sin. That means you start thinking like God the Father. Then, then you're alive unto God. That means you start walking like God the Son. That's a renewed mind. And then in Romans chapter 8, he says that you quicken your mortal bodies. That's God the Holy Spirit working in you to take your vessel uh, of dishonor and make it a vessel that God Almighty can use for his praise, honor, and glory. That's the issue of edification. But something happened when God gave it to the nations. I told you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Because of the rebellion against, of, of idolatry in the nations and, 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 and the, the lie of Satan, uh, the issue of ungodliness. And I'm saying all this to say, folks, we're in the world of the ungodly. I don't care what they call themselves. I'm talking about society. I said I was a Christian Baptist who was lost. I wasn't a part of the new creation. I wasn't a member of, 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 of the body of Christ. I was still in Adam, but I was here every Sunday. Some of you all were too, weren't you? Say yes. Okay. Unless you were born into the grace movement or you were in a place where the gospel of Christ was being preached, my local church then was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. How did I know that? My pastor, who was a, a, a saved Baptist preacher, was preaching all over the Bible. He preached the prodigal son. He preached Ezekiel, warning people. Uh, oh, I, I, he was. I, he he dealt with my emotions, and I liked the guy. And I liked the programs they had there. But I was lost when well, I was saved. Then uh, Romans chapter one. 
when Paul begins to introduce the gospel of, of Christ, he starts with the issue in verse 18 of the wrath of God, this wrath consciousness. You all know the passage. But then when you get down to verse 21, he talks about the issue of the Gentile nations. And he deals with the issue of, of ungodliness here because they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Verse number 24, wherefore God also, uh, gave, also gave them up to uncleanliness. Notice God the Father gave them up through the uh, lust of their own uh, hearts to design their own bodies. Verse number uh, 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. There goes the lie program. That's Satan, folks. And worshiped and served the creature more than creator. Verse number 26, here is God the Son. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Now, the first one is their thinking. God the Father gave them up because of the Gentiles' thinking. They worshiped and served the creature. That's Satan more than creator. Then God the Son gives them up because of their ways. A godliness, three, three components of godliness. Think like God the Father, walk like God the Son, and collaborate with God the Holy Spirit. Now, the issue of edification has to do with our minds after we receive the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being transformed to go back to being godly creatures. You understand that? That, that? I'm excited about that. If your passion and enthusiasm for what we're talking about is gone, get in the book and get established again. We're supposed to be excited about this. I'm not talking about, you know, like they hit a home run, it's the ninth inning of the World Series and we win. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord and, and understanding I'm part of something that's eternal. A dead gen This was us. Verse number 25, they give up the, the, because of the ways uh, uh, down there in verse number uh, 27. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman. You know what that stuff is. It's idolatry, by the way. It's nothing new. But God the Son gives them up because they're not walking those ways. And if you go down to verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate mind is a mind completely void of God's knowledge and will. It's a dark mind. It's reprobate. Matter of fact, he defines reprobate. If you go down in the passage, that's our society today. That's the world, by the way. So God the Father gives them up, God the Son gives them up, and God the Gentile nations, and God the Holy Spirit gives them over. And at that time where the wrath of God was supposed to be poured out, God raised up a man who he saves by grace through faith plus nothing, forms starts with him the, the church the body of Christ. And I, don't, I was going to go back and deal with those verses, but I don't. It makes him the pattern to them who should hereafter uh, believe on him, likewise believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not a friend, but an enemy to life everlasting. And makes him not only the pattern, but makes him the chief and gives him the authority to begin to teach others like himself from the nations. Now, I got to close. I got two minutes, okay? So that's a summary of what I was trying to do with the issue of godliness, okay? You go home and plug in the definition now. Timothy, don't teach any other thing than what I'm teaching because what I'm teaching is after godliness. But godliness is a doctrinal umbrella that goes from Romans to 2 Thessalonians, all Paul's epistles that's designed to establish you and have a renewed mind. So without a renewed mind, guess whose mind you're using? Say minds. No, you don't have to do that. Now let me show you a verse. Come over to 2 Timothy. And I, I share with Ted. Folks, let me say something to you. I know I have black skin, but I'm a member of the church of the body of Christ. I know you got white skin, but I know if you're saved today, you're a member of the church of the body of Christ. We're in Christ. I'm not an Adam. Why am I going to make the divisions that God doesn't make? 
Satan makes those divisions. He's the author of confusion, not God. And the, the, mark, the mark of spirituality, folks, is when Paul says, if any man think, if any man think there's an issue of thinking, himself to be a prophet or a, a, a spiritual prophet, let him acknowledge that the things are right of the commandments of the Lord. It's not only knowing Paul's our apostle and his, his apostleship, his office, it's submitting to it. Because God's talking to Paul. So when you get over here to 2 Timothy and Paul, now, I, I share with Ted, you would think, Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. He's about to be offered. And Timothy realizes that Paul's going to be gone. You would think that if Paul was given some doctrine and said, Timothy, go and overthrow the Roman government, it would be in 2 Timothy. Wouldn't you think that? This is, this is the last part of Scripture where Paul is putting together the Word of God, folks. A written revelation in a perfect book that you have in your hands, that you can trust, that you can believe. Timothy, go get all the, get all the brethren and, and, and go rebel. Remember, remember when uh, Peter took his sword and cut off uh, Michaela's ear? Because Peter was looking for the kingdom to come. The Lord said, put your sword away, right? Because it wasn't time. He had to go to Calvary first. He had to pay for redemption. Now, here's the verse, Timothy, verse number one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. That's that realm of knowledge and information that's been committed to Paul that Timothy has been taught as, as his son. And the things that thou have heard of me among many witnesses, Here's the issue of perfection. The same commit thou to, say that word, faithful men. Folks, faithful men aren't the, the men when I first got saved and went to that Baptist church. I was taught I was coming in cleaning up the church on Saturday as one of the deacons. Cutting the grass and cleaning the bathrooms and making the building nice. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what he's talking about there. The issue of being a faithful man is being a fully educated, not being a babe, drinking milk, not being tossed to and fro, and cared about what everyone doctrine, being a carnal Christian, but being fully educated because the completion of Paul's word takes you from being a babe to being a perfect man. And the final installment of his scriptures has to do with that edification process with maturity. And when he's talking about faithful here, he's talking about mature saints. Timothy, you go teach them what I taught you and let them teach others. Now watch when he said, by the way, I didn't deal with the passage over there. I took two minutes actually, is that okay? Then he says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He didn't say all that's in Christ Jesus, all that live godly. Now, godliness is a way of thinking, that you think like God the Father, you walk in the ways of God the Son, and you collate with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about being mean and nasty, because like I said, the whole goal of edification is to produce the love of Christ in you. You get what I'm saying? When that hit me, and it's my inner man, it's, it's coming from my heart, God gives me the privilege to love like he does. Everybody. Now, I need to be careful those are enemies, and as much as in me, if it's possible, live peaceably with all men. I can't, but I still love you. What is love? It's not the, it's not the uh, areas, you know, the... the uh, the physical stuff that we see on TV. It's not the phileo. It's not the brother love. It's the agape love. It's to be able to value and esteem things the way God does with a mental attitude. That's powerful, man. Oh, ungodly Gentile. They had conditions for loving people. If you treat me right, I'll treat you right. One last thing. I remember when I was a young man because I was, had that kind of mindset. If you bought me something, I had to buy you something. Right? 
I just felt guilty. And I was about 14 working at Sears, and the ladies bought me some Christmas gifts. By the way, I had to admit this, but I, I, was, I was a thief back then, so I had to go steal my gifts. But maybe y'all don't understand that one. Uh, but they bought me a gift, and then I went out and bought them a gift. And the lady said to me, Russell, we bought that gift because we wanted to. You didn't have to buy us a gift. That's how my thinking was before it became renewed. Y'all get what I'm saying? See, I don't, I don't do for you because you do for me. I do it for Christ's sake and because it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to get my wife those roses. Ted, mark it down, okay? Now, the next one. He says, thou therefore, in light of what I've said, endure hardness. Watch what he calls us. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's not the sufferance of this present time. That's not the suffering for bad decisions. That's the sufferance of Christ. See, Timothy and Paul decided to engage in the battle with the mystery of Christ and with the adversary. And when you do that, folks, get in for the battle. But that's what pleases God the Father. The sufferings of this present time, you can't avoid. The suffering for stupidity, you can. But the suffering of Christ, you have to choose the one to do that. And that's the one that pleases the Father. And that's what he's talking about here, about the good soldier doing hardness. Then he says this. No, now, here's what I want to get to, and I'm through. No man that warreth entangle himself ah, with the affairs of his life. Why? That he might please him who chose him to be a soldier. That means I don't go and run for a political office to try to change society become a city councilman, or I don't know what to call them down here, or part of the police department. I'm not saying nothing wrong with that in terms of police department. As a pastor, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And as a believer, that's not what, how we have influence on the world. You know how we have influence on in the world? That last pastor in 2 Timothy 4 preached the word. The word of God rightly divided. He's talking about the gospel first and then the edification for the mystery. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time's going to come, they won't endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is a term that Paul uses to explain the issue of godliness. But after themselves, they're going to have teachers having itching ears. They're going to they're turn from the truth. So when you come on TV today, when you go home, folks, watch how many people have itching ears. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he talks about the spirit speaker expressed in the latter times. Some believers who are established or, or know Paul's distinctive ministry message, they're going to depart from the faith. The depart from the faith is a body of truth committed to Paul, the truth which is after godliness. So if you leave Paul, you leave godliness. You don't think like God anymore. You don't walk in his ways. And you don't co-labor with him. He told Israel, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither my ways your ways. The nation that was called out to be a godly nation became ungodly. And they went into satanic, satanic captivity, and the Lord had to come get them out of that when he came to his earthly ministry. Boy, what a privilege. Now, it's about six more messages to this message. It really is, uh, because there's so much in there, and it's just unfortunate. I took more time than I said. So will you love me and forgive me and give me grace? Brother Ted, is that okay? Ted, not the latter Ted, not the. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this time. We give you honor and glory. We praise you for your written word that we can have in our hands today, knowing that you kept it. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who's able to uh, teach us and lead us in all truth. And uh, that is all for your, all for your honor and for your glory. 
and for our privilege to be able to function as a mystery of God and as the local church manifesting, uh, uh, maintaining the truth and standing no matter what happens, uh, where the adversary comes against us with his, his uh, uh, fiery darts designed to, to deceive us. And as we go through that, we know your grace is sufficient to be able to keep us and to build us up in our inner man. In Christ's name, we give thanks and do pray. Amen.